Gluten will spur on an autoimmune attack. And not only that, it has a molecular mimicry to the thyroid gland. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from my good friend, Dr. Amy Horniman. Today, we're going to dive into all things thyroid symptoms, labs, diet, and I apologize, I'm feeling a bit under the weather, so if I sound congested, you know why, but I didn't want to reschedule as I knew how good this interview was going to be. So let's get started with all things thyroid. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Amy Horniman, aka The Thyroid Fixer, who is a woman on a mission to optimize thyroid patients around the world and give them their lives back using her proprietary transformational program, The Fix Method. After her own experience of insufferable symptoms, misdiagnoses, and improper treatment, Dr. Amy set out to help others who she knew were going through the same set of frustrations and who were on the same medical roller coaster. She grabs your hands gives you answers about your health that no one else has told you and gives you the actual tools and personalized treatment to fix you. What makes her program unique is the extra support and accessibility that you can't find elsewhere. That's the transformational journey. With a focus on optimizing thyroid and hormone function and thus optimizing her patients, Dr. Amy looks at you as a unique individual and not just a lab value. She examines all factors that tie into thyroid dysfunction and thyroid symptoms and fixes you to give you your life back. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Horniman. (laughs) Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me your story. So how did you become the thyroid fixer? I like that name. But where did it start? Ah, it started like many of us, right? This pain to purpose story. So if we backtrack 25 plus years when I was younger, I was competing. I was competing in figure competitions, which is kind of like bodybuilding, but a lot more feminine. And I had done this multiple times. So I come from a family with type 2 diabetes and obesity. So I was always very conscious about taking care of myself and my weight. And, you know, I started, I was a a fat kid. So I was working out really early. So I knew what to do. I knew how to get ready for a show. I had done it multiple times before. I knew, you know, I had to diet down to get on stage in a bikini. You know, you're at your leanest self. and I knew how my body was supposed to respond, going to the gym twice a day, eating the fish and the chicken and the asparagus and the broccoli. And this one show, the scale kept going up. My body wasn't responding, kept going up, kept going up, kept going up. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So about 20 pounds and then probably more because I stopped weighing myself because I was getting so depressed. At that 20 pound mark, I start seeking answers. Like we all do. We go, you know, you know your body, you know something's wrong or like what the heck's going on. So I start seeing doctors saying, listen, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm eating. This is how I take care of myself. What is happening? And then, I mean, side note of fatigue and hair loss, but my main focus was the weight because that wasn't supposed to be happening. Six doctors misdiagnosed me you're fine. You're normal. Everything's good. Now, back then I wasn't into functional medicine, so I have no idea what labs they ran. Probably just TSH, which we can talk (laughs) about, probably. Seventh doctor actually touches my throat, says swallow, diagnoses me with hypothyroidism. So I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I get a pill. Answer. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Answer. We just want an answer. 
when we feel like garbage and we're gaining weight and our body is rebelling against us. So I had the answer and I had a pill, Synthroid. And so I gave <laughs> Synthroid, T4. And I gave that about five months, did nothing, did absolutely nothing. So, you know, I start researching and I always joke, I'm pretty sure I had a gateway computer back then. And I remember I'm, that. I, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what was out there on the internet that long ago. I, I can't even remember, but I stumbled upon an article about T3 and T4 working really well together. So I took this to her. I said, hey, what's this T3 thing? She goes, I don't do that. I go, you know what? I'm going to find somebody who does. So I went to a functional medicine practitioner who is now my mentor and he did all the labs, went over supplements, got me on the right medication and boom, from there, it was just life-changing. And I went literally from crying in my car to getting my life back and being able to compete again and think again and lose weight again. It was just, it was a game changer. So that changed the trajectory of my career. And I went into functional medicine and diving into the thyroid and just, I've been treating patients for years now, a couple of decades, uh, just really focusing on thyroid and hormones and getting them to the place that I was able to get to that place of optimization where you're like, okay, life is good again. Mm -hmm. So all the while, was your TSH normal? Like when you were put on Synthroid, was your doctor checking the TSH? Do you know? I don't know. I wish I could go back and see all those labs. Me, I might have them somewhere around here. <laughs> Ultimately, it doesn't matter because you, you know you needed the T3. And I want to talk a lot about t T3. That was a missing link for you. But so I'm, I'm happy to hear you're back on track and that now you're educating others, helping them get their lives back on track. But let's I want to digress and go through a couple of the questions and we're going to we're going to circle back around to T3 because I know my listeners want to hear about that. But this is a longevity podcast. So tell us how important does the thyroid um, play? Like how important of a role does it play in longevity? Right. So the thyroid is the master gland. It is the master. I don't think it gets enough love. I really don't. We, we tend to forget that the thyroid is at the top. So if your thyroid is off, then your insulin is going to be off, right? So for longevity, we know that insulin is very inflammatory. Alzheimer's is now deemed type 3 diabetes. It is very much connected to high insulin levels. So if your thyroid is off, even if you're eating perfectly, even if you're like, I'm on a low-carb diet, it doesn't matter. It's going to throw your insulin off, and you're going to have high insulin, insulin resistance, borderline type 2 diabetes, or diabetes, then we go into the sex hormones. So estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Again, we know for longevity, we want our hormones not in the tank. We don't want to live 20, 30, 40 years with no hormones. We want our hormones optimized. Thyroid gland being off is going to throw off your hormones too. Even if you're not a postmenopausal, you could be 20 years old and have your hormones in the tank because your thyroid gland isn't working and it's not optimized. So, I mean, we can just keep going, going, going. Your cortisol, your adrenals, you know, it can make your, your adrenals pump out too much cortisol, not enough. I mean, it just affects every single organ. Every single cell in our body has a receptor site on it for thyroid hormones, specifically T3 that we'll get into. So it's vital for longevity. You can't live a good life, much less a long life, much less a quality of life without your thyroid being optimized. I totally agree. I think the aging process is just accelerated when thyroid's not plugged in. So how do listeners know if they have a thyroid problem? Yeah. What are some of the symptoms? You, you shared some symptoms you had had, some weight gain, some hair loss. 
go over all those symptoms so listeners can maybe identify here. Yeah, the list is long, but the top ones, right? The top ones are the weight gain, inability to lose weight, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, brain fog, anxiety and depression, constipation, low energy, your hair falling out, low libido. When you think hypo, think low and slow. So everything in your body just slows down. Your metabolism slows. Your ability to go to the bathroom slows. Your mood slows. Your brain and your thinking and your cognition slows. So everything basically comes to a screeching halt. And then we can even see things like frozen shoulder. I have one patient that, um, well, now she works for me. She's awesome. But She's like, she just told me last week, she's like, do you know, before I started seeing you, I couldn't even write. My hands were so swollen and my joints were so bad. I would be grabbing a pen and could barely hold it. So even inflamed joints are connected to the thyroid. Yeah. A lot of things individuals may not, may not have thought. So why do so many people go undiagnosed and untreated when they have thyroid and hormone issues like yourself? Why do you think that's the case? Yeah. So for, it starts with testing, right? So, so like you and I talked about with, with myself back then, if I could look back, I would bet money that on my labs, they only tested TSH and maybe free T4, maybe if you're lucky, but then we have to go on from that. We have to, so when you ask for a full thyroid panel from your doctor, you got to be specific. Yes. List, list all these out for us. <laughs> you got to list them all out. You got to list them out for your doctor too. TSH, free T4, those are the the standard ones. Then we have to go into free T3 because T3 is the active thyroid hormone. So let's back up. T4 is inactive. It's storage. That is thyroid hormone storage. T4 has to convert over to T3. It has to change in order for that T3 to attach to the cell to do its job, to give you metabolism, to burn your fat, to grow your hair, to give you energy, to give you a good mood. So we want to test free T3 because I want to see how much free unbound thyroid hormone is in your body ready to attach to that cell. So that's that's vital. That is of vital importance. Now you can test the total T3. It's okay. That's an add-on. That's a bonus. But we really need that free T3 because I want to see what's ready to bind to that cell. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's total and there's free. A lot of people, my patients will ask their doctor to test T3 and they won't specify the free version and they'll get that total. So then it's like, okay, well, we can go by this. If it's in the tank, if your total T3 is in the tank. You can assume, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're you're in a low T3 state, but we really like to see that free. Then there's the reverse T3. So that is the anti-thyroid hormone. I always use the analogy of a bouncer at a club. The, the reverse T3 is standing outside the club doors, arms crossed going, you can't get in, you're not getting in, and you're not getting in either. And it is literally not allowing the T3 to get into the cell. Now, I know some functional practitioner will argue like, no, it's not blocking the T3, but let's just, for understanding sake, yes. yep. you know, if your reverse T3 is elevated, the free T3 ain't going to work. It's not going to do its job. I like that analogy. Many times I, the analogy I use with my patients is that T3 is the gas pedal on metabolism and energy and hair growth and reverse T3 is more like the brake pedal. So you yep. certainly don't want your gas not on and your brake on strong, right? You, you don't want those. So yeah, I agree. You got to have reverse T3 checked as well. And let's keep going through the labs, but let's 
come back to reverse T3 also, but I'll let yeah, you finish. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, Cause I love explaining reverse T3 too. And, and the arguments that you'll get from your doctor if you ask for it. So <laughs> we, yeah. And we don't want to forget the antibodies. There are two, by the way, it's amazing how many conventional medicine docs will test one antibody. There are two antibodies to your thyroid. So that means if they if those test positive, you have Hashimoto's. That's the autoimmune form. And 95% of all hypothyroidism is autoimmune. It is Hashimoto's. Right. So we want TPO and TGA. So thyroperoxidase, thyroglobulin antibodies. So we want those tested. And a side note to those, if any antibody is present, you're in an autoimmune state. Like those are little soldiers that are building their army. And I don't care if the lab value says less than 20 and you're at a 15, you are walking your way to Hashimoto's. Those are 15 soldiers, 15 antibodies that are going out and attacking your thyroid because they think that your thyroid gland is an invader, is a bad guy. And they're just really confused. So I don't say to someone, you don't have Hashimoto's unless they're at dead zero. Like, zero antibodies. If you have any sure. antibodies, that's that's a red flag. So yeah, those are all the tests that I really, really, really like to see. And I mean, beyond that, we look at everything else that affects the thyroid, like insulin and hormones and all that. But for thyroid panel, those are the tests you must have. Do you So do you check fasting insulin in most of your patients? Yep. Yeah. I think that's because great. Because most of them are insulin resistant. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to these lab values because I want to know what optimal is from your interpretation. And I guess I would add to the lab value. I always check iron and ferritin. Many patients are very anemic and you iron is a cofactor to make thyroid hormones. So you don't want to be low in that. Um, many patients, if they're not low in iron, they're low in ferritin, which is their iron stores. And we got to get that up. So I would add those to our list, which I'm sure you agree with. So let's go back to each of these lab values and you tell our listeners what in your interpretation is an optimal range. So I I don't like TSH. I think TSH stands for too slow to help because by the time it's high, many times patients have been symptomatic for a long time, but conventional medicine still uses that as the standard of care. So where do you want to see TSH? So I want to see TSH less than two. And listen, if it's suppressed, it's going to be if you're on T3. If you take an itty bitty teeny tiny amount of T3, or if you're on a natural desiccated thyroid med, that TSH is going down and it's probably going to be flagged low and I don't care. It is not going to make you have a heart attack or lose bone. That has been debunked and conventional medicine needs to catch up with the studies because we do not worry if your TSH is suppressed. And in fact, if you have thyroid cancer, we want, we want it suppressed. It suppressed. Yep. Yeah. I totally agree. That study that scares everyone away from, you know, feeling like they're getting too much thyroid medication was done on, I think it was like malnourished elderly individuals that were at high risk anyways of right. having arrhythmias and bone loss and whatnot. So I don't worry about that, uh, about that TSH either. Although... I certainly ask my patients if they're feeling over-medicated, if they're having palpitations, jittery, insomnia, right? That's the true test for sure. So you want TSH, yeah, less than two. And you're saying it's okay if it's suppressed as long as patients aren't exhibiting hyperthyroid symptoms. So what about T4 and T3? What are your goals for those ranges? What's optimal? So with T4 and T3, if we start with T4, we go, okay, optimal is 1.5 or above, but dot, dot, dot. Do I really care if your free T4 is, let's say, less than 1.5? Let's say you're coming in at a 0.9. 
But we look at your free T3, which I like 3.5 or above in most labs. I also say in the upper quadrant, in case you have listeners in you know Australia, UK, in the upper quadrant of that standard lab value range. And that is 24 hours without thyroid medication containing T3. Because if you take your T3 medication in the morning and then you go and get your labs, those labs are actually reading the medication because T3 is very fast acting in the system. So it's going to bring that level up. And then when you get your blood drawn, it is reading the medication in your system, not your actual true value without medication. So, and and listen, I understand that the medication is there to keep your lab values up, but I want to see what is it without. That's where my optimal range comes in is without like 18 to 24 hours without medication. I want it 3.5 or above or in the upper quadrant of the range. And then it's very individualized because some people do better with a higher free T3. So we really have to kind of, you know, target it to the person. Sure. So if the free T3 is optimal, if you feel good, if you ask a person, how do you feel? Those four important words that we don't hear enough. How do you feel? And someone is saying, you know what? I feel amazing. I'm losing weight. My hair is going back. I got my energy back. I can see the light. This is awesome. Then do I care that your free T4 is 0.9? No, I really don't. As long as you are feeling good and your free T3 is optimal and your reverse T3 is optimal, which we like that less than 12, then I know you're converting fine. The active thyroid hormone is getting into the cell and you're feeling better. So- I don't pay so much attention to the free T4. There is an optimal range for that, but it's kind of like, eh. Now, if somebody comes in and they said, and their free T3 is optimal, reverse T3 is less than 12, but free T4 is in the tank and they're saying, I don't feel any better. I'm still losing. And we're checking everything else. Then we go, okay, well, all right, we, we might need to increase your dose over here just to get that that storage up so more can convert over to T3. So it's very individualized, but that's an in general range of, of optimal levels. Sure, sure. I want to comment on a couple of things you said. So I totally agree with the T4. I tell patients T4's whole role in life is to convert to T3, right? So I don't really care if T4 is low, if T3 is optimal and the patient yeah. feels good, right? <laughs> um, but there are select cases where patients need more T4. And that's where, again, we have to personalize this. Yep. On the labs, um, I'm going to comment because I order labs differently on different patients. So on some patients, I want to know how high their T3 is with their medication in their system, especially patients who are super sensitive and are feeling more hyper, right? Yeah. So you yep. can, with your clinician, you can decide how to obtain labs. But as you were saying, T3 has a kind of a short half-life. And so I was going to ask you, do you dose it twice a day in many of your patients? Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah. Let, let's go there for a minute. So let's go to, I want to come back to reverse T3 still, but let's go to replacement for a moment. So what brands of T3 do you use? Do you use the synthetics, more of the like the desiccated porcine? Do you compound? Kind of tell me how you, how you treat your patients who need T3. All of the above. So that there, there's where that, that personalization comes in as well. I'll have some patients that they'll be on armor. They'll be on 120, 150 milligrams of armor. And they're like, this isn't doing anything. And we switch them. Well, back when Nature Throid was around. Yep. We switch them to Nature Throid. Boom. They're, ama- oh, they're fantastic now. So even just the change in the NDT manufacturer yep. can make a difference in a person. I like the synthetics. In fact, I, I, re, I renamed them Biosynth because synthetic just sounds so icky, but they really are powerful, great hormone tools. replacement sure. therapy tools. Yeah, they are. Sure. 
So the BioSense, Synthroid, Levo, generic, I don't really do too much with that. I like the Synthroid Tyrosin because they're more pure. Yep. For those yep. who are listening, that Tyrosin or Tyrosin, however we pronounce it, is a very hypoallergenic version. So much more pure, which a lot of my patients with sensitivities do much yep. better on. Yep. And and really, if you're, if you're hypothyroid Hashimoto's, you're probably going to be sensitive anyways. If you have any autoimmune condition, you're going to be more sensitive. So it's like, why not just go for the better and, and go straight for the pure stuff? So Synthroid, Tyrosin, and then Cytomel and Leothyronine is the T3. In that case, Leothyronine with most generic manufacturers like Greenstone, they actually, that actually had, the generic has less fillers than the brand. So, and it just- I didn't it, know that, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people do really well on the generic. And then even within the generic world, the different people can do differently and respond differently with the different manufacturers too. Yep. So it gets really personalized. Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life, and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium, found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog. And use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So that, gen- well, I shouldn't say generic, the, I keep saying synthetic, the com- I'll just say commercially available T3 comes in yeah. two doses. Five micrograms and 25 micrograms. So so for many people, obviously they could take two fives if they needed 10 micrograms, whatnot. But for many of my patients, I will compound if we're, you know, if they don't want to cut the pills because they're so little, if, if they can't do that, we'll compound. And I think the beauty of compounding with T3 is we can make that a sustained release version. Do you use sustained release in your patients? Sometimes. So ironically, I would I just had lunch with my mentor and he we were talking about compounding and the compounding pharmacies that I have experienced do not do a really great job at the slow release and they don't do a great job at compounding. Now, talking to him and then talking to another doctor in our group, there are a couple of really good compounding pharmacies out there. So he said, you know, use this one and she's saying use that one. And those are very reliable. And I'm sure you have reliable compounding pharmacies as well. So as long as it's a good compounding pharmacy, then yes, but I won't use just a run-of-the-mill compounding pharmacy because then that can get just disastrous. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I've been told thyroid is one of the most difficult hormones to compound, period. It's not just like, I shouldn't say progesterone or whatnot, but I've, I've been told it's more difficult. And, and I have had patients who I've put on thyroid compounds whose labs have not budged one bit. And obviously, yep. um, that, there's a problem with compounding <laughs> in yeah. those cases. But you're correct. I have found over the years reliable compounding pharmacies who can make the sustained release T3. So, and I, I guess maybe I'm more attuned to that because I'm someone who's very sensitive to stimulants. So I like everything sustained release. <laughs> um, do you find, I, I want to talk specifically about T3 because it is stimulating and that's why it provides a lot of benefit. Do you have patients you have to microdose it in that don't tolerate it well? Or what are some some tricks there that you may have? Very few. 
but I have had them who cannot even tolerate 2.5 micrograms of T3, which is literally enough for your pinky. Usually it comes back to the gut. So usually it, it will come back to, like you said, either they're anemic, their ferritin is low, they're estrogen dominant, or their gut is a complete disaster to where we move on to like the GI map and healing the gut. And then once we do that, and we're looking at cortisol too, so T3 needs cortisol, cortisol needs T3. So we're looking at that as well. But it's usually that if they can't tolerate it, it's an underlying issue that has to be addressed. Sure. Those are the more complex, complex patients. Let's go to reverse T3 for a minute. So what are some causes of elevated reverse T3? So for the listeners, remember reverse T3 is like that brake pedal or that bouncer that's not letting the active thyroid hormone, the T3, that's going to actually bind to your receptors and cause good things to happen. It's blocking that. So Mm -hmm. what would be some reasons why reverse T3 may be elevated on the listener's labs? Yep. So reverse T3... First of all, I want to I want to say because some people probably heard this already from the doctor. If you ask for reverse T3, your doctor will say, "Well, no, I don't test that unless you're in the hospital." Okay, reverse T3 is a survival mechanism built into our bodies. Smart, because if we're laying in the ICU or the ER, the last thing that our bodies need to do is burn fat, grow hair and have energy, right? We need to survive. So reverse T3 absolutely will elevate if you are in a traumatic situation, if you're injured, if you have an illness, a virus, whatever. An infection, yep. Exactly. So, but the last thing we want is for you walking around on day-to-day basis with elevated reverse T3, because that means your body is in a survival mode and you're trying to work and raise a family and get stuff done and clean your house. And it just doesn't work. So that's why you, you feel so crappy when your reverse T3 is elevated and you're actually not in a hospital bed. So going back to the why, underlying chronic illness like Epstein-Barr virus, Lyme disease, tick-borne illnesses, low ferritin, elevated insulin, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, estrogen dominance, low iodine is a big one. Selenium has to be optimal. Magnesium has to be optimal. Your vitamin D has to be optimal. So all of that, and I'm sure there's many, many more reasons, but all of that contributes to elevated reverse T3. And then there are genetic SNPs. There's DIO1, DIO2 genetic SNPs that some people have. It's actually easier to get that genetic test in the UK than it is in the US. But that can mean that you just are not a good converter. You're, you're going to have elevated reverse T3 no matter what. And the more T4 we give you, the higher that reverse T3 will go because you just can't convert. Even if we check off all the boxes, you know, no Epstein-Barr, we got that cover, we got your immune system supported, we got your vitamin D up, you're not estrogen dominant, it's all good. You could still have that genetic SNP that prevents conversion from going smoothly. Interesting. All the more reason why you need to find a functional medicine practitioner, because again, this can get pretty complicated. Not everybody has elevated reverse T3, but if you do, you may be one of those cases who you need, you need a little more assistance. So we've kind of talked about the TSH, the free T4, the free T3, the reverse T3. Now let's go back to thyroid antibodies for a minute. So what are some strategies for patients to lower the thyroid antibodies, to lower that autoimmune progression? 100%. We know that gluten will raise your antibodies. So I'm giving you another analogy here. I I said soldiers earlier. So I attribute, I kind of correlate having thyroid antibodies with having this group of soldiers and they're in their barracks and they're ready for war. 
But like I said earlier, they're just confused. They think that your thyroid gland is an invader. So they just like to go out and beat it up. And that's why we actually see with Hashimoto's a shrinking of the thyroid gland, thyroid gland destruction. And eventually, as you destroy the thyroid gland, you're not going to produce enough T4 and T3. So that's where we see the numbers start to change as the thyroid gland is destroyed by the soldiers. What we know builds the camp, build your soldiers up, is gluten. We know it, we know it, we know it. This is not a fad. This is not just something that you keep hearing on Dr. Oz and seeing on Facebook. We know from studies that gluten will spur on an autoimmune attack. And not only that, is it, it, is, it has a molecular mimicry to the thyroid gland. When we eat gluten, those soldiers go, hey, look, it's an invader. And they go out and they start beating the hell out of your thyroid gland because you ate gluten, because they think that there's a war going on. So we know that gluten will build your camp and will start a war. So that for sure will raise your antibody levels and will tank your thyroid function. So there goes T4 and T3 into the basement and, there, and then your symptoms increase. We also know that just basic immune support. So I'll have patients, I'm sure you do too. They're not on vitamin D and they live in the Northern hemisphere, mm-hmm. right? They're not on vitamin D. They're not taking mag, they're not taking zinc, they're doing zero to support their immune system. So just even basic immune support. And then you can get into like black cumin seed oil that helps lower antibodies. We can use low-dose naltrexone that helps lower antibodies. So anything that lowers inflammation will lower those antibodies. Anything that supports your basic immune system will also lower the antibodies. But a side note on the antibodies, I tell my patients this all the time. Please do not get hung up on the number. I had one patient just last week. She's like, my antibodies went from 42 to 55. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. That can wax, they can wax and wane on a daily basis. Again, yeah. based on, I love that soldier analogy, how much maybe gluten you've had or stress you've had or stress. you know how poor your nutrition was. Or Yeah, those can definitely fluctuate. Yeah. I mean, were you fighting flu virus? Were you fight? I mean, it, it could be, it can fluctuate like that just a tiny little bit. Now, if there's a huge increase, then we stop and we go, okay, we need to look into this. What's doing this? Heavy metals? Is it, you know, an activated EBV, something like that? But, but just slight fluctuations, that's okay. And, and don't get hung up on, yeah. Yeah, you you can't hang your hat on it and just base everything on the antibodies. And it does go back to that question of how do you feel? So again, if somebody, the ultimate goal is to get antibodies at zero. Of course, we like to get any kind of autoimmune condition into remission so it doesn't spur on other autoimmune conditions. But so the ultimate goal is zero. But again, if you have antibodies at 100, but you're feeling great and your symptoms are gone and your free T3 is good and your reverse T3 is good. I mean, we'll keep chipping away at it, but at the end of the day, I don't care that your antibodies are at hundred and you're doing all the things to support your immune system and take care of yourself and you're avoiding gluten and you're taking your D and you're taking your zinc. Then, you know, yeah, we, we work at getting the antibodies down, but the main goal is you feeling good. Yep. And I, I also tell patients to have patients with antibody reduction, right? So you can't go gluten-free and ch- test your antibodies in a month and expect they're going to go from 5,000 to zero. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yep. I have patients who've had antibodies 20,000, I mean, just super high, and it's taken years and years and years and years, but they're tracking their trends, their levels are going down, and that's what we want to see is that the general progression down. 
I agree that gluten is the biggest kind of builder, as you said, of the, the camp that can start the war, but gluten's not the only food, right? So for many people, dairy can be a problem, soy can be a problem. So I run food sensitivity testing on patients to see what other triggers they may have for inflammation and autoimmunity, and I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah, definitely. There's so many. So speaking to weight, I know optimizing your thyroid helped with your weight management, but I know you also mentioned the importance of getting insulin resistance down and, and tracking insulin with your patients. So let's go there for a minute. So what are some of your top diet and supplement hacks for reducing insulin? So if it's found to be high in your patients, give us some hacks for helping there. My favorite supplement probably of all time is berberine. I have a paper that was published. I wrote it with a colleague of mine, but it was on my patient. And ironically, he didn't have thyroid disease, but he had, he was insulin dependent diabetic. And he got out of the hospital, called me, said, I refuse to be on insulin the rest of my life. We got to do something. Like, okay. I said, you got to give it time. Okay. We got to chip away at this. I'm thinking it's going to take a while. His A1C was a 13.9. His blood sugars were in the 600 when he checked himself into the hospital. So, of course, he's insulin dependent. He's on metformin. I said, okay, we're going to add in berberine three times a day, and we're going to do a low-carb diet, basically a keto diet. We have to. Your, your body is pumping out insulin like crazy. You're almost at the point of pancreatic shutdown at where you're going to be insulin dependent the rest of your life. In six weeks, he was off insulin. Holy His smoke. A1C dropped to an 8.4. It was amazing. Six months. Yeah. Reverses diabetes. 5.4. Wow. So was that like a gram of berberine three times a day or how'd you dose it? We did 600 milligrams three times, three a, times day. a day. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. With every meal with the metformin, because there's a lot of studies out there that metformin and berberine work synergistically together, even though they kind of work on the same path, you can put them together to really like get a double bang for your buck. You might already know that insulin resistance can lead to weight gain, but did you know that it also is one of the leading causes of death for its role in diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's? Diet changes are essential when it comes to combating insulin resistance, but additional nutrients can also help. The one I recommend the most? Berberine. Berberine is a plant extract that has been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine for over 2,500 years. In addition to its long history, modern clinical trials have demonstrated that berberine supports cardiovascular health in a number of important synergistic ways. These include helping you maintain blood pressure, support healthy heart contraction and rhythm, and support healthy cholesterol and glucose levels. Our berberine support product also contains alpha-lipoic acid, or ALA, which has been shown to support blood sugar balance and is also a powerful antioxidant that scavenges free radicals. It's wonderful for maintaining healthy blood vessel and circulatory health. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily, or especially if you eat more than normal or indulge over the holidays or a birthday, where it should help reduce blood sugar spikes. Check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash berberine hyphen support. To get 10% off berberine support, use code berberine at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. I agree. I use those in my patients. And for patients who don't tolerate metformin because they get diarrhea or whatnot, berberine has also been shown to be equally as effective in kind of head-to-head -head clinical trials. So about a gram of metformin is about equivalent to a gram of berberine. So just for the listeners so they know. Okay, yep. so berberine's number one. What are some other either diet or lifestyle supplement hacks? Diet-wise, like I said, low-carb. I just am. I'm a fan of low-carb. I don't care if you call it keto, if you call it low-carb. I don't care what you term it. I like 
lowering the carbohydrates. Because if you look at the studies, okay, if you, if you just go into Google Scholar, go into PubMed, you have to use the term keto, but type in keto and any disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, weight loss, insulin resistance, Parkinson's, you will see positive studies about the ketogenic diet and that disease. There, I, I don't know. I mean, there's probably some out there, but I don't know if one study that says that keto and XYZ is bad. You know, you have some haters that say, well, keto increases your cholesterol. No, it doesn't. High insulin increases your cholesterol. So I like a low-carb diet because 99% of thyroid patients are going to have insulin resistance because of the thyroid affecting the insulin. So just naturally, when we drop our carbs, we're reducing inflammation. And there's a right way and wrong way. And we're, we're not talking about the old school Atkins of eating bacon and cheese. We're talking about doing keto the right way and focusing on the good fats and possibly even going dairy-free or just using a tiny, tiny amount of like grass-fed dairy. But that depends on each individual person. But when you lower those carbs and you're focusing on good quality protein and good quality fats, everything can just decrease, like your inflammation can decrease, that insulin can go down. And then remember reverse T3, one of the things that affects it and drives it up is high insulin. So now you bring the insulin down. Now your thyroid is working better. That thyroid conversion is working better because you lowered your insulin. I just, I, I don't see really any of my patients respond well to vegan diets, plant-based diets, high carb diets. Some can get away with it. Like some guys can kind of get away with a little bit more carbs and they can even stay in ketosis at like 120 grams of carbs. Most can't. And since thyroid affects women mainly, mainly about 80%, it affects women, 20% guys get it. Then, you know, we're just more sensitive. We're more sensitive to foods. And when your thyroid's off, you're really sensitive to foods. So you go, oh, you know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna have that bun with the burger. Well, then here you go. You're eating the gluten, that's jacking up your antibodies. The carbohydrates in that processed bun is bumping up your insulin. Now, you know, your your thyroid's being attacked, you're not converting. Well, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. So you have to be low carb. Sure. Any other supplements? So berberine, top supplement, are there any others you want to mention? I do like for my really like tiptoeing on the line of true type 2 diabetes. So with A1C, I really like it like a 4.8 to 5.1. So anyway, and of course, in the conventional medicine system, standard lab value range, you're not getting flagged until you crest over 5.6. So for people that are coming in at like a 5.9, where they're not called diabetic by their doctors, but to us, they're diabetic. I really like alpha-lipoic acid. I like inositol. Designs for Health makes a sensitol, so I'll, I'll pair that with the berberine and, and do that together. And then with some LDN, that's amazing. LDN is great for insulin resistance. Fantastic. Those would be my favorite in addition to like the base core supplements of vitamin D and zinc and having your selenium. Mag, selenium. And iodine. Iodine does not get enough love because the functional community is really split down the middle. Yeah. I am in the Brownstein camp. I am in the camp that when you look at the research, every cell in your body has a receptor site on it for iodine. We know that low iodine will drive up reverse T3. So I like iodine for people. Sure. What dosing do you use? Slow. <laughs> yeah, like low and just low a little bit. And- 
slow. Yeah. So we, we build up now. I know like if you look at Brownstein's work, he's using 50 milligrams for like breast cancer, um, fibrocystic breast disease. And, and some people can't tolerate going that high. So I will start at the bare minimum. Let's start at 12.5 and like ride that for a while and make sure you're doing salt loading, make sure you're taking vitamin C and then gradually increase it to tolerance. Cool. Let's go back for a moment here as we wrap up. This has been great. But obviously, we talked a lot about thyroid today because you're the thyroid fixer. But how do you feel about optimizing other sex hormones? Is that something that you do with your patients? And how important is that to quality of life? <laughs> mm, I love love dealing with the sex hormones. So for women, I don't know what you see in your practice, but I am seeing a lot of low testosterone. A lot, a lot, a lot. So I like I like total testosterone at 40 or above. And then the free testosterone, I like it like dead center in whatever the range you have on your on your lab panel. And then I see a ton of low progesterone and then estrogen can go either way. It could be really low or it could be dominant. I love looking at sex hormones. So when you take, let's take the, the typical hypothyroid patient, a woman probably in her 40s, not yet menopausal yet because she's still in that state of like she had a baby and that kicked on the Hashimoto gene. And now she's dealing with the weight gain, the low energy. And she's like, what the heck is going on with my body? So you take that, that typical woman, then you test her sex hormones. Progesterone will be that of a postmenopausal woman and testosterone will be in the tank. So what does that do when you pair it with the thyroid condition? That is like a double and triple whammy to weight gain. If your testosterone's low, you're not going to lose weight. You're not going to build muscle. You're not going to have a libido. You're not going to, you're just not going to feel motivated to do anything, much less get to the gym. If your progesterone's low, you're not going to sleep. That's going to increase weight gain. You're going to be agitated. You're going to be irritable. So it's just compounding on itself when you have the thyroid condition plus low testosterone plus low progesterone. And then if your estrogen is dominant, that's going to cause weight gain and water retention and impair T4 to T3 conversion. If it's in the tank and you're too young for it to be in the tank, that's when you're not going to, you're going to have vaginal dryness. You're not going to have good skin quality. I mean, there's just a host of things that can happen there. So balancing the sex hormones, ugh, key, 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 key to feeling better. I totally agree. And if you want to hear more, we have several episodes on the show where we talk about optimizing other hormones. Specifically, I interviewed Dr. Donovitz, who's the CEO of BioT, who's a hormone pellet company. We were certified through years ago. That episode is awesome. So if you want to hear more about hormone pellets, specifically for testosterone optimization, go back and listen to that. I'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. So Amy, this has been awesome. So tell us more where listeners can connect with you. And I know you have a free gift. So what is that? Yes. So I have the Thyroid Fixer podcast. That's on all podcast platforms that you're going to be on as well. You can find me on Facebook at Dr. Amy Horneman, Instagram, Dr. Amy Horneman, YouTube. I think it's Dr. Amy Horneman or just search my name. And it's A-M-I-E. So just that's how we spell Amy. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll put it in the show notes because good luck spelling Horniman on your own. Um, <laughs> and then the free gift. So the lab and symptom checklist, this is going to be tying in everything that we talked about today, right? So all of the symptoms, and I love when people do this, they'll write to me, they'll be like, I checked off like 99% of those symptoms. I'm like, I know that's what thyroid does. So the lab, and, it has all the symptoms that are correlated with thyroid disease or thyroid not being optimized. And then all of the different labs that you 
you need as well as their optimal values like we talked about today. So that's very important. It's one thing to get the labs. And then again, your doctor says you're normal, air quotes, but it's a whole other thing to be optimal. And that's what functional medicine does. We want you in that optimal range because that's where you're going to feel your best. That's where you're going to be happy with your life. You're going to live longer, but live happier longer too, and actually have a better quality of life if you're optimal. Love that. Love that. Thank you for bringing that together. So I'll post a link to that free gift in the show notes as well. So tell me what's your absolute top longevity tip. Last question here. Keeping insulin low period. Coming from a family with Alzheimer's, just a string of Alzheimer's Mm. on my mother's side, a string of diabetes on my father's side, a string of cancer on my father's side. What do we know that insulin does? It creates plaque in the brain. It feeds cancer cells. So when you're talking longevity, keeping insulin low, will that help your thyroid function too? Yeah. Will it help you lose weight? Absolutely. But when you're talking about longevity, you keep that insulin down and you are at a much, you have a much, much better chance at avoiding those neurological aging diseases and cancer. Mic drop. Love it. That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dr. Horniman, for coming on the show today and really sharing how important optimal thyroid function is to quality of life, but also longevity. So this was great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, there you have it from the thyroid fixer herself. T3 is super important. Avoiding gluten is super important. And having a full thyroid panel run and labs optimized may just be what you need to get your life back. Check out Dr. Horniman's free gift, link of which I'll include in the show notes containing all the labs you need to have run. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.